0: The following is from Rock of Ages Lutheran Church in Payson, Arizona. Reaching out with Rock Solid Hope and Rim Country. September 19th, 2021. First Kings chapter 18. There's a survey that came out earlier this year that indicated something quite surprising. For the first time in our nation's history, church membership has become a minority That is, the majority of people don't have any sort of membership in any sort of church. Granted, the survey meant Christian and other churches, including non-Christian churches. But Christianity has been the dominant faith in our nation. And now for the first time, most people don't belong to a church. Yes, Christianity is increasing in other parts of the world and some parts of the world we see it growing, but not here. And Christianity is a majority in some small pockets in smaller nations, but not here. Not anymore. So who's going to speak up? Who's going to stand up when they're the minority surrounded by those who don't confess or hold to any Christian witness? Would you be the one to stand up and speak up, even though you're in the minority? Would you be the one to stand up and speak up if all those around you were no longer adhering to the Christian faith? And could you do it if your life was at stake? That's the type of confrontation we see in 1 Kings 18, as the prophet Elijah is surrounded by those who no longer worship the Lord. But he knows as he has witnessed so many people turning aside from worshiping the Lord to worshiping idols, he knows someone has to speak up. Someone has to bring back those wavering hearts. And so Elijah did what I think many of us would struggle to do. He stood in the face of opposition and made a motion, a word, to call back those who were wavering. Today we look at the account in 1 Kings chapter 18. And there we see how the Lord turns back wavering hearts. And what he did through Elijah bolstered the faith of the people around him and turned back many hearts. And it bolsters our faith too. The prophet Elijah had seen so many turn aside from worshiping the Lord to worshiping the god Baal. This was done under Ahab, the wicked king, Ahab was so wicked that he not only despised worship of the Lord, he promoted and forced people to worship Baal. Baal, the god of sexuality and fertility. Baal, the god who would bring on the rains and the crops to grow because of those who worshiped him with their degrading sex rites. And as if that wasn't bad enough, there was child sacrifice. And to add on to that, Ahab's wife, Jezebel, hounded down and killed the prophets of the Lord. So that there were not many who longer held to and publicly confessed the name of the Lord. You could say church membership in Ahab's time was in the minority. And Elijah looked around him and knew that something needed to be done. And so God called him and he came and confronted King Ahab and told him, that there would not be any rain in the land, not until he and the Lord whom he served said so. And so for the next three years, not a single drop of water fell for the prophets of Baal, the so-called gods of fertility and rain. And then after three years finally, wicked King Ahab was ready to give the prophet of the Lord an audience. When Ahab sees Elijah, he says, there you are, you troubler of Israel. Troubler? Ahab was suffering for his own sins. Elijah was faithfully serving the Lord. The drought and the severe famine they were facing was a result of what Ahab had done. But that's the way it is. When is. You'll see that. When, when someone is confronted for their sin, and they meet someone who's faithfully serving the Lord, they'll call them a, a troublemaker. Jesus himself was called someone who was of the devil because of what he taught and preached. The apostle Paul was considered a riot maker and a rabble rouser. And so it has been with all of those who faithfully carry God's message. Those who oppose them will try to put them down and give them all the blame. But Elijah was there nonetheless. God still, even after three years giving Ahab that chance to repent, still desired that Ahab have a message from him and that Ahab's heart might turn. But God was concerned more than just for the hearts of Ahab. He was concerned about all the people of the nation of Israel. There they were led by Ahab, this king who it says, there had never been anyone like Ahab who sold himself to do evil in the eyes of the Lord, incited by his wife Jezebel. He committed obscene acts by following filthy idols, like everything that the Amorites had done, for which the Lord drove out the people of Israel before the people of Israel. The people of Israel were following that man, and Ahab was leading them to turn away from the Lord. But the Lord, their God, desired to turn their hearts back. And so Elijah called for Ahab to gather together the leaders of the people and to gather together those 400 prophets of Baal, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. And then the day came. The leaders of the people of Israel were gathered on Mount Carmel and so were all the prophets who served Baal and Asherah. And then Elijah presented, posed a question to the people. And we read in 1 Kings 18 telling them, How long will you stagger around on two crutches? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the response? The people did not answer him a single word. Elijah is basically saying, Don't just try to serve the Lord and pretend you're serving him and with the other hand, serve and worship Baal. Serve God if he is God. And the only thing he's met with is complete silence. Today, of course, we don't see people in the majority serving gods like Baal. Not that I'm aware of. But who are they serving? Who is a person serving if they're told, this is my body and I'll do what I want with it, regardless of how degrading the act or how immoral it might be against the Lord's direction, our creator. Are they really serving the Lord if they don't honor sexuality as a gift and honor the gift of marriage? And how many people are serving Baal, perhaps, when just like the child sacrifice back then, they might decide that their priorities are more important than the life which God has blessed them with as a child. And so they end the life of that child. And who are the people of this world serving? If on the one hand, they might say they they worship the Lord, but they fail to make any confession and say the Lord is God, they remain silent. They have no church membership, no affiliation, and they support no spread of the gospel. Who are they serving? Today, we'll find the same silence. But the Lord desires to turn hearts back. Elijah posed the, the question to the people again. How long will you waver on two crutches? How long will you stagger and not serve the Lord? But the Lord desired that they hear and see and that he turn their hearts back. So Elijah came up with a proposal. You build an altar to your God, to Baal, and I'll build one to the Lord. Put your sacrifice of a bowl on it, I'll put mine. Prepare everything and call out to your God, and I'll call out to the Lord. The God who answers by fire is true. People decided this test, this sign, would be good. You have to wonder what happened to bring it to this point? That they had to have this sign to bring them to the truth. What happened? That complete silence that was there when it was only a couple hundred years before when all the people in the time of joshua were saying we will serve the lord wholeheartedly what happened to bring it from that point to complete silence and on the other hand idolatry did the people watch some video on youtube that explained how they could live a better life so they gave up on worship of the lord The people could look around and say, this used to be a God-fearing nation. This used to be a nation that worshiped the Lord. But now Elijah has to say, it's all silence. What happened? Did they set aside worship of the Lord for the God of the harvest so they could have riches and wealth and crops? Did they turn to sensual pleasures in place of honoring the God who gave them the wonderful blessing of marriage? What happened? Well, sin happened. And it started with and ended with the people being silent when called on to worship the Lord. And so Elijah steps in just when needed. Just as the the people had been silent in the call to serve the Lord, as the prophets of Baal called out to their God, he was silent. In fact, we see Elijah, he begins to taunt them. Maybe your God is asleep. So brave and bold and confident is Elijah at this moment that he even begins to mock those who worship the false god. He knows their god will not answer. Those who serve idols, those who serve their own body, those who serve the pleasures of this life, when it comes to the day of trouble, will find their god is silent. For there is no other god. No one will answer in the day of trouble or when death comes. Finally, when evening came, it was Elijah's turn. The time for him to call on the Lord. And there we read, after he had had his altar drenched with water and surrounded with a trench of water, he says, When the time of evening sacrifice arrived, Elijah the prophet stood up and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things by your command. Answer me, O Lord, answer me, so that this people will know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you are turning their hearts back to you. The Lord was about to act. And why was he going to act? To turn their hearts back to him. After Elijah's prayer, without hesitation, the God who never sleeps rained down fire, so it licked up the water around the altar, burned up the sacrifice and even the altar. So the people shouted out, the Lord, he is God. The Lord gave the sign, the Lord acted on behalf of his people. He is the God who answers, the God who speaks and acts on our behalf. We know that this is what our God does. You see, Jesus came to this world, the Son of God, to act on our behalf. And though when his enemies found him and confronted him, they called him a troublemaker, they challenged him. And they came up with the the challenge to say, prove to us that you are who you say you are, that you have such authority as the Son of God. And Jesus came up with the sign for them. It wasn't God accepting a sacrifice as he rained down fire from heaven. But it was God accepting a sacrifice. He said to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. That will be your sign. Then you will know that I am who I say I am. And what Jesus meant by that namely was destroy this body and I will raise it again on the third day. Let's see who the true one is. The God who raises his son on the third day, he is the true God. Jesus' body was beaten and put to death on the cross. But it wasn't merely at the hands of sinful men. It was what God had planned ahead of time so that the people would know who their true God is. And it was Jesus offering up the sacrifice that we needed himself. You see, Baal demanded that the people offer up horrible sacrifices, degrading and horrid acts, both degrading their bodies and their own children. But our God does not demand that degrading, sinful sacrifice from us, no. Instead, he offers himself and in mercy takes our place and gives the sacrifice that's required so that we might be freed from our sins. And our merciful God accepts the sacrifice offered by his son who perfectly covered our place and it didn't end there the lord is god the disciples saw jesus on the third day and we see them proclaiming jesus is the lord and when thomas saw him a week later he said my lord and my god and someday, when all of us, as his disciples, see him, we will proclaim when we see him coming again in glory. Our living Jesus, our God reigns. The Lord, He is God. And we'll see that when Jesus comes again. You know, there's a a bumper sticker you might have seen it that says coexist, and on it it has the symbols of several different religions of this world. Of course, part of the idea of that bumper sticker simply might be that all religions should just get along and try to tolerate one another so they don't harm one another. Or it could also mean that all religions eventually will lead to what we need or what we're looking for. But on both accounts, that bumper sticker is wrong. Firstly, though the devil might try to make it look like all religions can coexist, The majority will never tolerate the Christian faith. Jezebel was okay with all the other gods and cultures and things around them, but not worship of the Lord. The Lord needed to be silenced. The devil will get us to tolerate all sorts of religions and think that they'll tolerate the Christian faith. But in the end, the devil seeks to silence one faith, the one which is found in the true God, the one true God who does answer. And secondly, all religions don't point and lead us to the same end. All the other religions outside of Christ will lead to silence and leave us under the wrath of God. But the one true God, the living God, who rose to life, he alone leads us to what we need, eternal life with our God and eternal peace. No one comes to the Father except through Jesus, his son. And Jesus gave us the sign by rising from the grave and we will see him come again in glory. Until then, there there will be times when the Christian faith will find itself as the minority or maybe like the time of Elijah, almost like you're the only one left. But God bolsters our faith. He wants us to speak up. When you have trouble remembering why you need to Speak up. Remember what God did in the time of Elijah and why he did it. Elijah did this sign, he said, to turn their hearts back again. God acted in sending his son to bring you to God. The scriptures say Christ died, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. We have a God who acts. And in the face of whatever opposition there may be, even if you're in the minority, Speak up because if you see someone who's not following the Lord or who is wavering in faith to worship another God, that God will not help them when the day of evil comes. That God will remain silent as they grieve the death of their loved ones. That God will not help them when they find themselves dealing with guilt and struggling under the degrading acts that sin and the devil have led them to. That God will not give them forgiveness and that God will not speak to them. But in his word, our God speaks. And he has given us the sign of his son. And our God will speak again on the last day as he raises us out of the grave. Our God gives us comfort in the face of death, illness, and on the last day. And our God lives. And we will join with all the saints, the people who held on to the word with the sign of Elijah, the saints who heard the gospel message. And we will say, the Lord, He is God, and join with the saints and all the hosts of heaven. Our God reigns. The Lord turns back wavering hearts. Why waver? He's the living God, and none is greater.